0: No, not word at all. I rely on God, Allah Bismillah, alhamdulillah, wassalatu wassalamu ala rasulillah. Assalamu alaykum wa rahmatullahi wa barakatuh. I'd like to welcome everybody to today's episode uh, of the Life Haqq podcast. And it is going to be a very uh, interesting and different type of episode because we, uh, we have actually gone to the people in the streets to get their lived experience in regards to Islamophobia and racism. And uh, as I mentioned in a previous podcast, I am hesitant and I really don't like using a lot of the terminology uh, that is popular in the vernacular today, such as racism, Islamophobia, and so forth, because I don't think that's a broad enough term and I don't think that it's able to uh, completely capture the essence of the problem that we are dealing with as a society. But uh, we will refer to it uh, because it is more well known and people do recognize the term, uh, But We will try to include the more comprehensive term like tribalism and sometimes we will use racism and Islamophobia synonymously because the roots of those problems are very very similar now uh, we want to start off today with sharing as I mentioned the experiences that many people have endured uh, through this tribalism Islamophobia and racism and the first Uh, person's experience I want to share is a a young woman uh, who lives in Vancouver her name is Ida and uh, she had a experience uh, while she was praying in public with some of her friends and so what we're going to do now is listen from her firsthand what she experienced because today's episode is about the lived experience of people And inshallah, by the end we want to transition into advices of how we can go beyond these lived experiences. So we just don't focus uh, on the problems and some of the issues that people have endured, but how do we go to the next step in terms of our perspective and coming up with real life uh, solutions as well. So uh, I will go now to this first video of Sister Ida from Vancouver.
1: Assalamu alaikum. My name is Ida. I'm 19 years old and I live in Vancouver, British Columbia. Being a hijabi in a country like Canada has both its pros and cons. Um, we Muslim women face racism so often that it has become so normalized. Like we don't report it nowadays, like as much as we used to, because of how often it happens to us. One experience of Islamophobia that I have recently had was. Um, Two weeks ago with my friends, when I decided to, when we decided to go to a park, um, just hang out. And it was about seven, seven to eight sisters. Where, uh, just because we're normal people, the only thing that makes a difference is the hijab. And uh, just like everyone else, we wanted to go to a park. So we went to the park and it was a awesome time. So we decided to pray uh, jama'ah. And um, no, normally when we pray jama'ah in public, we always uh, try to have that one or two people around us. Um, that would kind of like protect us in a way in case something happens for our safety. And so, um, this time when we we're praying, uh, we heard this, these two women that got really aggressive and they, uh, decided to call the police on us because we were praying in public, which did not even make sense. So after we pray, we finished praying, we we're very confused. We we're like, why is this even happening? Is this even a thing? Like just someone calling the police on you because you're praying in public. And um, we were confused, but we knew we didn't do anything. So we were like, even if the police comes, we will uh, just tell them that we didn't do anything. We just prayed in public. And so luckily, there was another man who was sitting on the right uh, uh, a few meters away from us. And he was. He told us that, hey, he's, uh, he was like, oh, I saw everything. And uh, I saw that you guys didn't do anything. So he would witness to the police if the police comes, which was very good. So, after the police came, we tried to explain ourselves and tell them that, like, hey, we didn't do anything. But uh, we realized that the police wasn't, like, believing us. And they tried to be very manipulative and they asked for our IDs. And uh, we were like, do we have to give our IDs? And uh, they were like, well, legally, no. So, we're like, "If, if no, then we don't want to give it to you then. And so... Um, because they did not believe us, we were like, we referred, we we referred the police officers to the witness who was sitting on the right and it was a white man. And, um, it was really sad because the police officer did not believe us until they talked to the white man on the right, to the witness. And, um, after talking to him, they did not talk a single word with us and they just left. And so it was really sad to see it like that. It was like emotionally very hard to just swallow that and like realize that like just praying in public and just like why do we look so scary to people? Like we just have a headscarf on, nothing different. And so, um and um yeah. Have an amazing day.
0: So it looks like uh, not only are Karens ensuring that the wrong type of people don't have barbecues publicly or exercise publicly or uh, sell water uh, publicly uh, if they're the wrong type of people, but uh, they're also going around policing and ensuring that uh, people don't pray uh, publicly as well. And um, as I, as you can see that uh, there are commonalities to uh, the way that oppression discrimination manifests itself it's common it's common it's not like it's going to be exclusive to one specific group of people because if it doesn't happen to that one specific group of people it might happen to another uh, specific group of people and the roots are the same and we're going to talk about inshallah near the end of the podcast uh, addressing the roots of those issues and uh, the other thing I think we I just want to pause, make a few notes to reflect upon is that why is it that uh, our lived experience doesn't hold weight? Our testimony doesn't hold weight unless it's verified by people's testimony who are deemed to hold weight or have that uh, place within society, have a certain status within society. Why is it? that uh, our experience is undermined and it's neglected unless there's very, very clear, undeniable evidence, a video clip that has no ambiguity whatsoever with it, or uh, a person who is able to uh, testify and say, no, 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 I was an impartial bystander. We need to have like an impartial bystander to sign off on a person's lived experience so this is very problematic because it's endemic of what we do as a society and to tell you the truth within the muslim community we are guilty of this as well oftentimes we don't give weight to a testimony of people within our own uh, community or if our own community makes certain commentaries or they speak about certain issues it won't be given as much weight Uh, As if, uh, unless it comes from uh, a person who is maybe uh, a non-Muslim person who is, quote, uh, who is considered, quote, unquote, a um, a regular Canadian. A few things to think about, a few pieces of food for thought. The next experience I want to share is Hibba from Vancouver. And she describes an incident that occurred very recently with her Uh, in a Walmart in her area that she was patronizing. And so let's hear her experience. Uh, One, and I want to reiterate one thing as well, that they're just sharing one of their experiences. Many of these people, many people in the community have many, many experiences to share, and they endure it on a regular basis. And it becomes very, very regular to them. It becomes part of their life. And so it's important for us to highlight it and show that this is wrong. Just because it's been normalized, uh, it is not correct. So let's hear from Sister Hibba from Vancouver.
2: assalamu warahmatullahi
3: wa rahmatullahi wa everyone. The incident that I want to share in regards to racism and Islamophobia actually happened this week at Walmart. So for a little bit of background information, Walmart now has arrows placed on the floor guiding people which way to go. So um, for example, in certain aisles you can only enter through some way and in certain aisles you can only exit through one end. And so I entered an aisle through the exit side and I didn't know that I did that until this happened. So. Uh, when I entered the aisle, there were two other ladies there a little bit further down from me, and both were white ladies, and I assume they were perhaps 50 to 55 years old. Um, one of them looked at me and said, in a very condescending tone, wrong way. And then, before I even had the chance to respond, her friend beside her said, she can't speak English, she doesn't understand English. And then they both proceeded to laugh. I felt very humiliated, and so I said to them, I know. The, uh, and then the lady, who had said wrong way, looked at me and said, you're very ignorant then. And then that really, really caught me off guard. I didn't know what to say to that then. And those ladies ended up leaving the aisle and I ended up leaving Walmart after a bit too. And when I got home, I realized that I, should, I shouldn't have just let that incident slide and I should have stu- uh, stood up for myself. But in the moment, I didn't know what to say. I was so overwhelmed with emotions. And so this is very prevalent in, to- in today's society. This happens everywhere. Um, I assume that they said that to me because I am a person of color and I do display my religion physically by wearing a hijab. And so uh, I believe that we should be educating our youth um, in regards to these racist comments and so that they are prepared on what to say if something like this ever does happen. And so um, Jessica here for listening
0: and tuning in uh, for the sister to share her experience uh you know just being able to do something mundane as going shopping you have to face racism you have to face this type of uh rhetoric you know this uh you know and it takes people by surprise for most people uh they They don't have, they try not to have their guard up because I want you to think about what type of reality, what type of life do you live if you have to have your guard up all the time? And for many of these people, they do, but you know, you can't function normally by always having your guard up uh, 24 hours a day, seven days a week. And you do drop your guard, and when it hits you, it really blindsides you. And a common theme I think people need to appreciate. When people endure a lot of this uh, type of racial discrimination, and I'm including Islamophobia in it, when you look at these sisters, they're wearing hijab. So you immediately identify them and you view them in a certain perspective. So these people, uh, you know, if maybe perhaps if they didn't wear a hijab, they wouldn't be as easily identifiable just how when uh, you uh, discriminate based on race you're able to identify somebody as a different race and then uh, therefore afterwards you're able to discriminate based upon that based upon those visual factors i remember uh, somebody who was an immigrant to this country and she was mentioning that um, and she's non-muslim she immigrated from france And she was mentioning how some people were telling her, oh, I'm tired of these immigrants coming into this country. And they were complaining about Filipinos because they were able to identify, oh, immigrants, Filipinos. They're non-white, perhaps. That's how I identify immigrants as being non-white. And that's why maybe a lot of these immigration issues are associated with that. And so they were complaining to her and they were mentioning how much they have a distaste for all these immigrants who are coming into the country. And then she mentioned, you know what, I'm an immigrant as well. So why were they so free to tell her that uh, you know they are uh, fed up with all these immigrants pouring and infesting their country when they were talking to an immigrant? And why didn't they identify her as an immigrant? Why? Because it was actually coming from a place of Uh, racial discrimination and when you're able to racialize a person you're able to look at a person uh, through just their visual appearance and make those judgments those discriminatory attitudes and judgments based upon that then uh, the the person that can't even have a chance to speak they don't have a chance to prove their inner self-worth and you've already uh, made your decision about them and so uh, with these, you know, last two sisters, uh, you could see by wearing a hijab how they were identified, and then having to go through a process of humiliation. And when you are discriminatory towards some somebody, I want you to think. Of, I want you to note this. With a lot of the that one of the themes that's uh, associated with the victims of racism, Islamophobia, tribalism. Is that there is a great sense of humiliation associated with that, because everybody is deserving of a level of self-respect and self-worth, and to have that taken away from you by no fault of your own, you know, by 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 not your actions, by not having your actions judged, but how you look uh, being judged and then humiliated. That is something very difficult for somebody to endure. That has deep psychological effects. That has deep emotional effects. And uh, right now, I want to uh, share a experience by Brother Jamu, uh, who uh, travels frequently between uh, Calgary and Vancouver. And uh, this is important because of the fact that he endures a lot of racism when he does travel. So let's hear from... Brother Jamu's experience.
4: Asalaamu Alaikum, everyone. Um, I was told to send in a little clip to talk about my experiences with um, racism in Canada. Um, I think for me, my experience as a Black Canadian um, and a the intersectionality with my Muslim identity is me constantly questioning the Validity of people's actions, especially those of authorial figures. Um, and sometimes even the actions of myself, I'm thinking to myself or wondering, okay, is this, you know, a legitimate query, or is this something that's tied to the color of my skin? Um, and so the most uh, common example I like to give people is, um, I, I travel a lot between Calgary and Vancouver because I've always gone to school in Vancouver and my family's in Calgary. And so, um, this is a fly I take maybe around six times a year, one way, each way. Um, and when I go through airport security, um, I would get randomly selected. Um, and I always wondered if it had something to do with, you know, you know the frequency was just very coincidental how I would get stopped. And so, um, I, I, but then I always chucked it off to. The fact that my old older laptop had a modified internal hard drive, um, so maybe it showed up on the scanners as looking like it was tampered with. It could be some sort of, I don't know, device or something. Because um, all the time I would always be the one picked out of a line, or I get to the end of the baggage claim and just, they ask me, "Oh, is this your bag?" Um, and yeah, they're, they're testing it for, you know, cocaine and other substances. Um, and so. You know, I always just chucked off as, okay, it's it's a common thing. It can just be coincidental or it could be because my laptop was modified or whatever reason. But um, I, it almost sort of became a running joke between my, you know, Snapchat audience where I would always say, haha, run, you know, randomly selected again. This would happen about 90% of the time to the extent where whenever it didn't happen, I would be surprised. Um, What eventually made me realize that it wasn't just some random event was when I changed my laptop to a new laptop, and then the check still happened and it happened again more than once Um, and it was a, you know, continual event where I'd always have to almost sort of schedule a little bit of extra time knowing that I'll be pulled aside um, in order to, you know, make up for the time I'll be missing from being you know, the extra checks and routines I have to go through.
0: You know, one of the hardest things to deal with when you deal with discrimination is to identify if they are truly signaling you out uh, based upon what uh, they identify as your race or your religion or, or whatever. Because it's so subtle because they don't when they when people treat you badly or when people treat you unfairly rarely do you get a window into their motivations they're not transparent with their motivations so it's not like they treat you unfairly and then they give you this card and they said oh what's this you know what's this card oh it's just letting you know i represent Uh, the partners of racist Islamophobes and Tribalists Incorporated. You know, they don't give you this card. Oh, okay, I see that. Yeah, you got the um, Nazi symbol on here and the KKK symbol on here. Okay, thank you. Uh, It's good to know who I'm doing business with. People aren't transparent like that. People don't, uh, you know, show you what's in their hearts. And so that's why a lot of the racism, Islamophobia, and stuff like that that you have to deal with It's hard to identify because people aren't going to say that. People are smart enough to avoid certain words and certain terminology. And people have become more slick in the way that they use coded language. So now when you want to talk about the colored immigrants that come in, you just say immigrants. You just say immigrants. And you have a problem with immigrants in general. And so when you have, for example, somebody like Don Cherry calling out people saying – oh, these people aren't grateful. They come to the land of milk and honey and they don't even wear a poppy. You know, they don't uh, uh, wear a poppy to show their respect for the people who uh, died for this country. How does he know that they're immigrants? How does he know that they're immigrants? As I mentioned before, like, how how do you differentiate? Did he go around and say, okay, show me your birth certificate? Where were you born? And then uh, make a uh, uh, an Excel file and say, okay, look at this uh, percentage of immigrants aren't uh, respecting by wearing the poppy. And then you make the you make the criteria of what it means to be a respectful, law abiding, well adjusted Canadian, a grateful uh, Canadian, you know. Uh, So you set the criteria for that. And, you know, it's. Uh, it, it's it's very very hard to deal with that type of uh, rhetoric when they use this type of coded language when they're saying okay it's immigrants we know what you mean we know what you mean by when you say immigrants I don't see enough colored people wearing the poppy and giving uh, you know these uh, these veterans respect that's that's essentially what you're saying is that I don't feel that they're toying the line I don't think that they are Canadian enough well if you and it's such a superficial way of, again, of assessing, and that's what racism is. It's always superficial. It's about giving. Racism, essentially, a lot of racists try to show that uh, they're deeply concerned about something that is important. They try to attribute. No one likes to say, hey, I judge you or I dislike you or I hate you based on such a superficial superficial metric. Nobody likes saying that. Nobody, because you, you, you look stupid. You look like such a uh, an ignorant person by doing that, but people always try to attribute, to try to justify their uh, racism. They try to justify that ignorance by trying to attribute it to something that could be praiseworthy, that could be noteworthy. You know, so if you look at even that issue with Don Cherry and the and the poppy and calling out immigrants, what was the 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 poppy and Flanders feels about? That was against going to war that was that was talking about the poetry and that was talking about the severe loss of human life life the great loss of human life that occurred with people so if you truly wanted to honor the people's memories poppy that's just a symbol and calling out immigrants that's also superficial if you wanted to if you want to truly stand out for those people or stand up for those people the legacy of those people then you need to fight oppression and fascism and ignorance everywhere. And you don't want to pile on when superpowers go in into impoverished nations and declare war and completely uh, exploit their people and their resources. That's That would be a truly deep and uh, core value way of going about showing that I truly believe in uh, what I tout, you know, these virtuous things that I tout. And so here, for example, this brother enduring uh, racism, you know, in airports and whatnot, they're gonna say something very virtuous. We're trying to keep people safe. Really, you're trying to keep people safe. Statistically, show me how random are those selections. Show it to me. Be transparent. Be transparent. Put your data where your mouth is. Be transparent and show that I am. I am fair. I am just. I treat people equally and fairly. I'm not going to call. I'm not going to select a person based on. Uh, how I view them to be. And then there's a whole baggage of uh, all these things that are associated uh, with how I view somebody to be like. Uh, the next experience I wanna share is from uh, Sister Faiza from Saskatoon. And uh, this is uh, this is hard for anybody, and, but it is, uh, I think, even harder for somebody who is uh, new to Canada sister faizak's experience please listen
2: assalamu alaikum this is faiza uh, almost like five years ago um this uh, it was my first year in the university and me and my sister were going home we took bus around three or like four o'clock in the afternoon and bus was like really busy like it was like almost full so uh we were like okay let's sit at the back because usually there's space at the back so we were just sitting there and then um after like five five minutes uh, some guys like got on the bus and um uh, of course the bus was kind of full so they they moved back too and then they were sitting like across us and then i don't know what happened they just started They were like talking to to like each other first and then then they like started like raising their voice and then that's actually when i like i was like oh they're like actually like saying stuff to us they're like just like them regular racist plus Islamophobic stuff like, are you carrying a bomb or were you, uh, what are you doing uh, in our country? If you're going to wear this thing in your head, like take it off. It was just like a bunch of stuff uh, along those lines. But now me and my sister, we were like, let's not respond. And then we were just like, let's just like, maybe they're just going to stop in like in a minute or two, but when they didn't and then they they started like raising their voice like even even like more now, so we just like we changed our seats and then we were like okay that's fine now. But then they didn't stop like they kept going. Now the now the whole bus could hear them, and one thing that was really interesting that okay we were we were scared. Um, at that time, I was fairly new to Canada, too. So my English wasn't uh, fluent either. So it, it was just like that was like one of the aspect, too. I was like, you know what, let's just not say anything like, you know, I, I was just like really shy, too. So me and my sister, we were like that was just one thing. But then one thing was, that was really interesting was the whole bus was like this dead quiet. And then we, we kind of like people were kind of staring, but then when we would look at them, they would like look away kind of thing. And then that, that, that seemed like they're telling us that you probably deserve it kind of thing. And then they don't care. And then that, that went on for like, I, I don't know, like 10 to 15 minutes. Cause and then no one said anything, and I just got like so scared. There was this another Muslim couple sitting in the bus. They were like, uh, it was like an older couple, but they they offered um, their seats to us. But then uh, that was that was all. There they didn't say anything either. The bus driver could hear them. They're like a bunch of people got off the bus. Some and then people got on the bus and then they kept going and then no one just cared. Just everyone's like, okay, that's fine. Like, it's not happening to them. It's like, you know, how, uh, in a crowd there's like bystanders and stuff. People just didn't care. And then, then there was this one, um, older, uh, older man. He was like, uh, he told them to like not say it, but then not, and then even he waited for like 10, 15 minutes to say that. And then he said it when he was like getting off the bus kind of thing. So like, you know, he wouldn't have to deal with the, with the, with the people at the back anymore. Like he's just getting off so he can just say whatever and then get off. Like he didn't want to deal with the situation. And then one thing that was like really weird that driver could hear them. And now it's like, it's it. This situation hasn't hasn't changed at all. But like now, I see like if there is like a person shouting in the bus, um, driver would like interfere and be like, okay, can you leave my bus? I, I've seen that. I, I've have I've like uh, I saw that happening like a couple of times now. But then at that time, driver didn't say anything. Cause, and then that made me like feel like because we were like muslims and then people were kind of agreeing to whatever they were saying so that's why they didn't say anything because i've seen like okay if like a person is like acting like a little weird or like is like even like a, a little drunk or something um driver would like actually interfere and then tell them to like leave the bus but then at that time no one actually like driver didn't say anything like you know and then it was just like really heartbreaking for me was like i started feeling like ashamed of my identity kind of thing that oh maybe i'm the problem kind of thing and that just like yeah it was just like really scary so i think everyone
0: can appreciate uh, Faiza from Saskatoon's uh, humiliation, and some of the anxiety, some of the danger she felt being in that type of situation, especially being in a bus full of people, but actually being alone, even though there are many people within there and including somebody who's responsible for the bus. So it's not like you're in a, in a place where there's nobody who has taken an official role of responsibility. Because, of course, a bus driver is responsible for the safety and security of the passengers. But no one took that responsibility. And why did no real bystanders stand up uh, for them? And I'm going to discuss this further uh, near the end of the podcast, inshallah. Uh, But a few things that I want you to think and reflect about. And uh, now I want to finally listen to the last uh, testimony that we'll hear. And that is the uh, experience of uh, Sister Aisha from Nova Scotia and one of her earliest experiences with racism.
5: Welcome, so, everyone. So today I'm going to speak on an experience I had when I was about eight or nine. Um, so the neighborhood I grew up in was a predominantly white neighborhood until... Like a couple of years passed and then it slowly became more diverse but in the beginning i had mainly white friends um in my neighborhood and i had usually kind of gotten the vibe that like i wasn't someone that was accepted um so there was one time when we had gone to one of the neighborhood kids houses and they had a bonfire there There was just a bunch of kids there, we were playing basketball. Um, And it was almost around Maghrib time. So I was like, they they had said they were gonna play Man Tracker, which is kind of like a game you all hide in the woods and you have like a group that is trying to find you and then the group that is hiding. Um, But I said I couldn't play because I had to go home soon. So I had stayed on the basketball net and then a couple of other kids came to the group that was gonna play Man Tracker. Um, and they were all just kind of standing there and like looking at me and I was like, I just kind of didn't pay attention because I was, I was just, I was shooting some hoops. <laughs> and then one of my friends at that time, I thought she was, came up to me and she said, oh my God. They're asking, those kids over there are so mean. They're asking who that ugly black girl is with the braids. And then I just, I tried to play it off. I was a kid and at that time that was, that was the norm. Like I kind of wanted to be like them. Seeing white people was the norm. I I personally, there was my own internalized racism. Like I wanted to be white. Um, And then I just kind of rolled it off my shoulders and acted as if everything was okay. I was like... Like, whatever. Forget them. I don't really care. Um, I was really hurt. uh, But then I just put the basketball away and I was like, yeah, I have to go home. Um, And I remember walking home and thinking, like, even if they did say that, why didn't she stick up for me? Why did she come and tell me? Um, And then I got home and I went to my mom and I asked her, I said, Mama, I said mama am i ugly and she was like what and she was like what do you mean and I said no mama am i ugly and she said no she said you're not ugly at all and then my dad overheard <laughs> um, and he said what do you mean and then my mom said she just asked me if she's ugly and then he said what? And my mom said, did somebody call you ugly? And I was like, no, no, it's fine. She said, no, did somebody call you ugly? And I said, well, we were down at the basketball net down the street. And then my friend came over and she told me that a couple of kids were saying who's the ugly black girl. And I think that was one of the first times that actually stuck with me that it's like, I was, I I was, I was shocked. I was like, wow. I had always felt this kind of already inside me. I'd already felt different, but to know that they as well were, were vocalizing that, it really hit me really hard. Um, but yeah, I think that's as far back as I can remember um, for racism when it came to
0: uh, my skin color, but yeah. Racism. Ignorance cannot exist in a vacuum. It needs to be supported by people, either intentionally or by just letting things like passively. So either actively or passively, you know, ignorance, this type of oppression cannot exist without either the active or passive and the passive support of people. And what we find ourselves now is that we understand, hey, there are some significant issues uh, that we need to deal with in society. There are some significant injustices that are occurring. And the way we go about it, we don't want to make the same mistake as what brought those issues to light in the first place, or what allowed those issues to manifest in the first place. And I'm going to explain what I'm talking about. Because what we do right now, oftentimes, is everything is so commercialized and corporatized. So it's corporate-approved activism. It's celebrity-endorsed activism. It's more symbolism rather than substance. So, for example, let's turn to LeBron James as an example of somebody who's standing up against racism. And so now he becomes our model. It's endorsed now, you know, the BLM movement. Yes, he is the person that's, that's going to help us stand up against racism. Well, uh, that is still short-sighted to have our, our leader, our leadership and somebody lead us like LeBron James, with all due respect to LeBron James, because he may actually, through some conversations, may be uh, able to become self-reflective and look at some of the shortcomings that he may have. So what am I talking about? Well, he's very vocal about the Black Lives Matter movement. But when it came to the issue of China oppressing the people in Hong Kong and how they were dealing with the people in Hong Kong, let alone of the evil the pure evil that is being done to a Uyghur people very silent silence complete silence so there is no uh there's no speaking out against that and actually when he was uh confronted about uh the fact that he criticized the Houston Rockets general manager for uh, speaking out against uh you know, uh, China or because of the uh, in support of the Hong Kong uh, protesters. So he was called out because he criticized. He criticized somebody for uh, trying to support people trying to uh, lobby for their human rights. Uh, He is quoted as saying, I'd be cheating my teammates by continuing to harp on something that won't benefit us trying to win a championship because that's what we're here for. And then he goes on to say, We're not politicians. I think it's a huge political thing, but we are leaders and we can step up at times. But you don't feel like you should speak upon things that you shouldn't have to. Okay. So, wow, we're not going to speak out against this. So, it's again, uh, I will speak out against racism on certain issues. I will speak again, uh, you know, for for human rights on certain issues, but maybe not other issues. And that's, again, that's celebrity pandering, symbolic type of activism or solutions. Another example I saw, and as Muslims, I think we can appreciate uh, how, um, for us, that is actually a symbol of oppression, is that when you had, uh, uh, there was a, I believe it was in Texas, where uh, you had people of this church, the white people of this church, were uh, bowing or or kneeling and begging forgiveness uh, to uh, all these uh, black people in the church as like a symbolic thing. So they were crying and and begging and, and asking for their forgiveness. That is not an Islamic concept. We only bow. It's unanimous. It's Ijma' of the scholars. You you should only bow and prostrate to Allah Subhanahu Wa Taala. You don't bow and prostrate to anybody else. So that's uh, that's not uh, uh, maybe oppressing somebody else, but that's oppressing yourself by not giving the you know by uh, by by doing such an action to, to somebody else. Right? Again, it's symbolic and pandering. And a person just because they're white see this is how superficial it is. do we have to say oh white people are like this? I don't believe that because as a Muslim, Allah Ta'ala created white people he created black people he created people of all sorts of different uh races and nations and personalities and all sorts of different types of people and inherently people aren't evil. We cannot say by a person's skin color by who they you know what they look like that a person is Inherently guilty of anything or guilty by association. We do not have that worldview, we do not have that concept. Okay. So again, this is symbolism and this is pandering. So we have to go, we have to go deeper. We have to go deeper. Because, say, for example, all these protests, and I do hope that they cause positive change. So let's let's clear that from the get-go. I hope that these protests do lead to some positive change. But I want you to th- let's do some this let's do let's do a self-reflective exercise when we don't look at our core values and our core principles when we try to stand up for justice. Why did many Europeans leave European countries and come to North America? Why did they do that? Why did they do that? Why did they leave Uh, their ancestral homes to come to North America. They came for uh, escaping what? Political oppression. They came to escape economic oppression. They came to escape uh, religious oppression. And they came. They migrated all the way crossed the ocean, came and settled the wild west. Pioneers, uh, you know, building the inf- you know, helping building the infrastructure. Okay, all of those things that went along with that to what escape uh, oppression, and then you see that you see the language even in the constitution, uh, whether it's the United States Constitution or the Canadian Constitution, it shows where there's a huge emphasis on freedom, on human rights because of what they endured. But guess what? Guess what? It wasn't deep enough. It wasn't deep enough because then many of them became the perpetrators of similar types or if not worse types of oppression, slavery, injustice, genocide. Okay. Canada was established by settler cultliness. Okay. Let's let's, uh, be honest with that. So we can't, you can't escape one oppression just to then have that cycle repeat itself. When... Uh, you had many of the Jewish people who had to leave Europe. And then they ended up, uh, through the aid of uh, the colonial powers, being able to annex parts of Palestine. Look at how the Zionists treat many of the Palestinians. It's very common, very common. There's clips after clips. If you care about human beings, and if you think that it was so brutal to what happened to George Floyd and it was brutal and it was one of the most evil things I've ever seen in my life. That is done regularly. That is the method of operation in uh, the occupied territories. If you look at how they treat the Palestinians and how they uh, put their knees on their necks, you'll see many videos of them doing that and being shot in the limbs. There's actually videos of Uh, Law enforcement just walking up and shooting people in the head. Just walking up, boom, shooting people like that, shooting children. Now, isn't that uh, oppression? And that oppression wasn't right, what they endured in Europe. But now this oppression is not right as well. What about uh, when India was able to free itself from the British, uh, the colonial power that had Uh, controlled them and exploited their resources. They went from being colonized. Now look at the oppression uh, that is waged upon people of lower castes on the Muslims. Even the Muslim world, when we freed ourselves from colonizers, when the Muslim world freed itself from the colonizers, many of these governments were very harsh with their people and continue to be very, very harsh and oppressive with the people. So, oppression the cycle of oppression and injustice can can and will continue if we don't look at it from a fundamental perspective from a principled perspective if we look at it from just a superficial that's why i really don't like a lot of the terminology that is used you know when we say okay let's give the people the space just to talk about this identity group guess what if you understand academia of how the corporate elites actually fund they fund a lot of these uh human rights uh movements they want people to only lobby for their specific identity they only want people to do that so then they can keep playing it's like a chess game where they can keep playing people against each other you can be oppressive to yourself you can even be oppressive for yourself you know, say you are economically oppressed. So you're in a country that's economically oppressed. There's no fairness in the economic system. Um, money is held within the uh, hands of the few. You immigrate to a country. You now don't have this economic oppression. You're able to uh, provide for your for your family, food, basic necessities. You're even able to get luxuries now. You can become oppressive to yourself because then you could do dhulab al-nafsi. You could be oppressive to your own nafs and start uh, using materialism to oppress yourself and not give the rights uh, to Allah SWT. That's why we need to, as Muslims, we have Iman to guide us. We have the knowledge of the deen to guide us, to give us fundamental truths on how we should deal with injustice. Because it can be like, don't believe the hype. The way things are, people love to pander. the The people who are, with that hold the power structure, that are within the power structures and hold the reins of power, th- they know that is the easiest. That's part of the playbook. That's like rule number one in the playbook. Pander to your constituents. Not real fundamental change. We don't want necessarily real fundamental change, but you can pander to it. You can very easily pander. Be symbolic. Walk in. Have a politician. Walk in with a kufi in the masjid. You're going to get all the Muslim vote. You know what I mean? Who cares? How this politician voted or if this person really cares about your community. I saw, oh man, the, yeah, you should have seen him. He came in and uh, he said, A salama, lama, lama, And uh, man, we are so happy and I feel so good uh, to vote for this person. What, But what is he really about? You know, what is this individual about? What have they really done? Uh, you saw that scene with uh, the House Democrats all kneeling and wearing that kente cloth. You know, know, but House Democrats, eight years, eight years, you had the presidency. What type of reform fundamentally did you bring within your society from a legislative uh, perspective? So should we just jump from one issue to another? Is that the most productive way? Is that the most intelligent way? Is that from one uh, issue of racism to another or – what about what if we get into this? What aboutism? Okay, so that's another thing that uh, we've discussed in in, in past uh, podcasts where we don't want to be caught up because that's what the people in the status quo levels of power structure want. Where uh, you have people, okay, let's just focus on the people who can lobby for their particular identity group, and then you'll have people amongst themselves. You'll have all these different. If you can just slice everybody. Into different identity groups, then everyone will just care about their uh, own identity rather than fundamentally trying to change the structure of society or the perspective of how we even approach the issue of injustice, of oppression, of intolerance, of things like racism and Islamophobia. You won't be able to uh, structurally do that if you could, if you just, because you'll we'll have people say, oh, what about my group? And then another person's like, oh, what about my group? And what about my group? And you'll just get caught up in what whataboutism. And when you chase disease, you know, from a clinical perspective, you know, what we need to promote in our society from a, just a biological health perspective is that we too often get caught up in chasing disease. We'll prevent this particular di- disease. Or we need to fight this particular disease. But very rarely do we chase health. Sometimes we are running away from maybe all these different types of diseases, but we don't promote running towards health. We don't promote running towards being healthy, which automatically deals with so many different types of diseases. And so, when you look at uh, you know terms like uh, you know, racism and Islamophobia. And then you'll have even within racism, okay, uh, people will use certain ter- times of uh, terminology to try to uh, give their personal experience, I would say, more credibility. Because it comes down then, you're not, you're moving away from the principled approach to these problems, but then you get more to a personal approach to these problems. And uh, when you start doing that, then uh, you uh, aren't able to now uh, affect it in a more structural or more principled way Where then you can have a vast majority of people being affected with uh, justice Or being influenced or benefiting from uh, a, a just type of society or a just type of uh, attitude So for example, uh, Allah Taala He tells us in the Quran Surah Al-Anfal, Ayah 73, so chapter 8, verse 73 in the Qur'an, uh, he talks about uh, the fact that, and those who disbelieve are allies of one another, if you do not do so, so if you don't stand up for the truth, if you don't become united and allies of each other, okay, so become one and be principled, okay, uh, and the there will be a lot of fitna, so there will be a lot of corruption. And there will be oppression on earth and uh, a great uh, mischief and corruption. So look at the terminology that is used by Allah. Look at how Allah talks about uh, problems within society. He talks about it as oppression, injustice, corruption. And that's what we need to understand. uh, What we should focus in on is the Islam-based solution for problems, the Iman-based solution for problems. So we stand up for justice. We stand up for justice. Well, where does it say that? You mean you stand up for justice for everyone? Yes, we stand up for justice for everyone. Chapter four, uh, verse 135 in the Quran, O you who believe, stand firmly for justice and be witnesses to Allah, even if it's against your own self or your parents, your kin, whether they be rich or poor, Allah is the best protector, so follow not the lusts of your hearts, lest you may avoid justice. And if you distort your witness or refuse to give it, verily, Allah is ever well acquainted with what you do. Stand up for justice, even if it's against yourself, even if it's against yourself. Now, I want you to think about this. Many of these experiences of racism, of injustice, one of the comments was that, okay, my friend didn't stand up for me. The bystanders didn't stand up for me. You know, the bus driver didn't stand up for me. You know, other people didn't really say much, you know, in in that, uh, you know, when the sisters were praying, uh, you know, publicly, one person did, uh, you know, uh, say that, no, no, you guys were in, in the right, like you didn't do anything wrong. So you have somebody uh, witnessing at least, but I want you to understand why that occurs. Why does that occur? Why does it uh, occur uh, that you don't see people standing up? Well, if you look at society at large, we are conditioned to conform to the institutions, okay? So we're conditioned actually not really for free independent thinking or critical thinking. Okay, we're given the illusion that we have free, independent thinking, but in actuality, we don't. Okay, in actuality, you have to uh, toe a certain line in, in terms of uh, in terms of speaking. And I'm not going to give by saying that I'm not going to give justification to people who want to use racist terminology and say, oh, you know, you're you're controlling the freedom of speech because you're also conforming to a racist ideology. Okay, what I'm talking about is that when you now pander to your own lusts and your desires, look at what this verse is saying, that you should not follow your own lusts and your own desires. Because any, if, you, if that was your own mother, if that was your own daughter being abused, you would step in. How is it that you can have bystanders uh, and they really... Uh, some of them may say certain things, but it's really um, uh, it's it's not to the voice or to uh, the level that it should be. It shouldn't. It's not at the uh, the in, in terms of speaking out against uh, the uh, the decibel level is very low when we're talking about speaking out against in, in injustice when we, when we see it happen. When it reaches a critical threshold and it becomes like uh, a accepted norm, like what we've seen with the protests, then everybody is willing to say something. But then, when you're on that bus or when you're in that store or when you're in that park, why don't you say things? Because most people have been conditioned to do things for the personal and not for the principle. Okay. Most people, their filter is personal. How does this affect me personally? And not necessarily the principle. If it was your father, if it was your mother who was being abused and the knee on the neck, you may even put your own life on the line to stand up for justice. It's not blaming the bystanders, but we have to understand how we have been conditioned. There is a level of responsibility in Islam, you can say that we have zero responsibility as a bystander, okay? So of course the perpetrator is even more liable, but every single human being has a level of responsibility. The weakest of Iman according to the hadith, the narration of Prophet Muhammad is to hate something in your heart, that's the weakest form, the manifestation of faith. The next level is to at least speak out against uh, about it. The third, the highest level is to physically, you know, get involved to try to stop that injustice, that that wrong, that that uh, that error that you're seeing uh, in front of you. So, when we're talking about bringing people together uh, from an Islamic perspective, from an iman-based perspective, we're standing up for justice. We want to stand up for justice, full stop. Justice for everyone, for Muslims, for non-Muslims, doesn't matter who it is. The terminology used in the Qur'an is justice, when we're trying to to stand up for something correct, when we're trying to uh, bring this harmony for people, when we're trying to protect people. And then ignorance and uh, oppression and fitna and corruption. These are the terminology. So these are the things that we need to fight as a whole, as a whole. So we can't just stand up for we think justice on one end and then we allow ourselves by what? By pandering, by being so narrowly focused that once we stand up for justice for a particular group of people or for ourselves or for something that's personally affecting us or something that is popular, okay, then we will find ourselves dealing with injustice very soon later on. As I mentioned, how many people thought to uh escape from oppression but then they became the oppressors themselves and so we don't want to get caught up in the victim olympics we don't want to be people uh who just say okay these are the ones who are the most victimized and this is the second victimized he's got the second place and these are the third ones and nor do we want to consider ourselves uh to, you know we should identify ourselves actually as uh as our identity being as victims but one thing that we can uh, that, uh, we need to reflect upon and appreciate is that all these different identities, think about how an identity unifies a group and how problematic it can be. So say, for example, you have, okay, you know what? African Americans we need to stick together, but then there is this tension between African Americans and maybe the pan-African uh, struggle. okay so then they're they're disconnected, okay? So say you, you, you slice people up in all these different identity groups. Okay. You're able to keep people disconnected actually by that. You're not bringing people together because you're not uh, you're not going to core values and principles. So I know for example a a brother uh who uh has uh, uh partials so he's half uh you know Somali and you know he's half mixed uh, European descent. And he's not black enough, okay? for people who are fully ethnically Somali. And he's not like European enough for, uh, you know, white people. Okay, so maybe he has to start now his own group because he's not black. You know, the people say, oh, you're not, you're, not, you're not real black. You're not truly black. Like, look at that. Look at that ignorance. They're saying now, they're thinking they're so self-righteous. Well, we need to stand up for the rights of, uh, you know, our, 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 our black people. And then here say, hey, guys, you know, I'm, I'm, I'm also half uh, Somali. Oh, no, 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 you're not, you're not black enough for us. Okay. All right. I guess I got to start my own group then. So you look at how you can just on these identity uh, metrics can be just uh, split apart. Do you know how we're going to bring people together? How we, so like if you look at the base of a triangle. So I want you to think about the base of the triangle. All these people split apart on these different identity groups. How are we going to get people together? We're gonna get people together on some fundamental core values, okay? We're gonna get uh, people together on fundamental core values. So what are some fundamental core values which can translate um, through different cultures, nations, races that people can believe in, okay? Well, justice is one of them. Fairness uh, for for everyone. So treating everybody uh, fairly. Okay, um, this is this is what's going to bring people. So it should be everyone. Everyone should be fair, treated fairly and justly, and be uh, equitable and merciful. Okay, uh, to people. Okay, but what is the ultimate way? What is the ultimate fundamental truth that can bring uh, people, all different types of people, together? Does it matter race, economy, even something that is the most Fundamental truth that can bring people of all sorts of different types of nations, histories, even former enemies together. There has been nothing that has been able to do that in human history like believing in Allah SWT. There's nothing like that. Because that is because Allah is the truth. Allah is the truth If we Are united upon Tawheed If people unite Themselves upon uh, Believing in Allah, the unity of Tawheed That is the ultimate Truth that can bring Every single person From any type of demographic Together, any type of Identity, because Allah Does not look at your appearance He looks at your hearts. Allah SWT, uh, He tells us in a ayah in the Quran uh, and I've mentioned this previously as well in Surah Al-Anfa ayah 63 and he's united their hearts. If he had spent all that is in the earth, you could not have united their hearts, but Allah united them. It is Islam that can bring people together. That's why uh, we need to and I will Spread the message of Islam and I will tell people about Allah SWT, and I will tell people that we need to believe in the truth and we need to come together because there has nothing been like that in human history. I want you to think about this. Think about people who were trying to kill Prophet Muhammad Sallallahu Alaihi Wasallam but Allah brought them together. Tribes that were trying to kill each other for generations and generations and generations and Allah brought them together. People who were rich and poor and they were standing beside each other in prayer and humility and then all of them putting their head on the ground bowing to Allah because Allah brought them together. People from different languages, different races, loving one another because Allah brought them together. Because Allah brought them together. That is the ultimate principle that will bring us together. People have not experienced Hajj. As Malcolm X said, if people experience Hajj, if they marketed Hajj, he actually talked about it from a a marketing perspective. He says like the Arabs, they don't know how to market. He's like, if they they marketed Hajj, if they marketed the pilgrimage to Mecca, they would see that this is the way to bring brotherhood back. This is how you can bring uh, people together. And so you had a person who, was a, who, who became a hardcore black nationalist and the true understanding of Islam opened his heart once again, even though his, his own father was killed by the KKK. He had family members that were killed and lynched by uh, white supremacists. He found love for white people when he went for hajj. That's what's going to heal people. That's what's gonna bring people together. You can't do it by symbolic pandering. You need to come to a fundamental truth. And for my community, my dear Muslim brothers and sisters who are suffering, who have been victimized, whether they've been judged on their color, whether they've been based judged on their hijab, whether they have been judged based on how they look or how they talk or their accent, any of those different things do not have a victim mentality. Do not have a victim mentality. Do not be victimized. That is not what defines you. That is not what defines you. you we should let our Creator define us. In chapter 41, verse 33, Surah fusilat Allah SWT, He tells us, and who is better in speech than he who says, my, my Lord is Allah and then he stands straight so he acts right and he invites people to Allah and does righteous deeds and says I am one of the Muslims let Allah give you your value you are Muslim be proud of that Allah is asking a rhetorical question who is better than that a person who lives principally a person who believes in Allah they take Allah over their own lusts and desires because If that's your principle, individualism, materialism, you're always going to have to deal with injustice and oppression, whether it's economic injustice, oppression, whether it's racial injustice, oppression. There is some type of mutation. There is some type of mutation of that disease that will manifest itself. But if you believe in Allah over everything, then you're going to take justice over your own principles. You're going to take justice over uh, what your own feelings are about something. So, when you are able to uh, overcome that, okay, when you're able to overcome that, okay, and stand for what is correct, and remember the statement of La ilaha illallah Muhammad Rasulullah, again, going back to that point of like, don't chase what's wrong. So, it's not just saying uh, rejection, okay, we reject this type of racism and reject that type of racism. Just like La ilaha illallah, we reject all uh, gods. Okay, so we reject all shirk, forms of shirk. So we reject all racism, except illallah Except so we reject everything, but we believe in something. Okay, we believe in an absolute uh, type of principle or an absolute type of truth. And remember that uh, this victory, like when we're talking about, uh, you know, things that manifest or things that are good. People who don't have principles can benefit you and do good things So again, don't let that fool you Uh, There's a hadith of the Messenger of Allah So the prophetic narration Where he says Verily no one will enter paradise But a soul submissive to Allah Yet Allah may support his religions By the hands of a wicked man Okay, so by a fajr like this can be uh, a Fajr can actually support the dean so we don't look at necessarily uh the results so you could have people who have ill intentions right and 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 that's what I, uh, I i i spoke about earlier like don't let like uh the 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 corporate backed uh you know uh symbols uh you know be the ones that represent you don't let them do that You know, I could just imagine a guy sitting, you know, and watching, uh, you know, funding all these different activists and just sitting with a cigar and and being like, you know, laughing his head off. He's like, you know what? I'm still going to be able to maintain status quo. You know, because you can have good things that are established by people who don't have principles. You can have good things established by people who have an ill intention. You can have that. So we need to be intelligent. Our dean speaks about that in this hadith. So Allah, Allah SWT is saying that no one's going to enter paradise except somebody who is submissive, who is uh, you know being uh, subjugating themselves to Allah subhanahu ta'ala. Okay, he's accepting Allah subhanahu ta'ala. And don't look at some of these outer things that might look very nice and alluring and righteous. It's not, as we mentioned before, doing good, but also being good. Having the good intention, being good not just uh doing good. And so uh for those brothers and sisters and we all have our stories and you know there are so many personal experiences that uh, I can share with you and it can bog you down and it can if you just focus on it it can actually truly make you depressed. And I, I one thing I discovered when I speak to a lot of people within our community is that we um we can sometimes go to two extremes. We can go to one extreme where we just try to ignore it. It's like, okay, I'm just gonna put up with it as something I have to put up with. And um, they just normalize that type of oppression. And then the other extreme is that that is the excuse for everything wrong in their life, okay? So there's two extremes that you can go to uh, and it has to do again with your identity. And our identity is not based on uh, being oppressed or not being oppressed. Our identity is based on like a superficial metric. Our identity should be based on the condition of our hearts. So if our hearts are empowered with Iman, with faith, then we understand, okay, if if there's injustice, then we need to work towards uh, changing that situation, overturning that injustice, overturning that oppression. But at the same token, we don't let it, identify us we don't we don't let it become an excuse for everything because you know for many people i think we should appreciate i know for myself that so many incidences of racism so many incidences of islamophobia and injustice that i endured made me stronger it made me stronger it made me more resilient it didn't make me fragile i was you know like some of the things when you've had to be when you when you're when you're called certain things when you're treated certain certain ways uh, when you have to physically fight for yourself all of these different things when you're uh, given economic threats when you're dealt in so many different ways it actually may, if you have iman every single uh, fitna that you come out of every single challenge you come out of you become stronger and you become stronger and you become stronger and what I see with the testimonials. Uh, my dear Muslim brothers and sisters, I see people who are resilient. I see people who have such strength. I see people who are blessed by Allah Subhanahu wa Taala, because the best generation for us is the generation of the Companions, رضي الله عنهم. May Allah be pleased with them, and they endured so much. They didn't let their uh, their oppression define them. Rather, when they were given The mantle of power When they were given the mantle of authority When Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala made them Khalifa on the land They gave an example of justice They gave an example of forgiveness They gave an example of mercy These people had fortitude These people had mercy in their hearts These people won the hearts Like From a historical Purely historical perspective How did just a small, small Handful number Of companions grow to uh, take Islam uh, to dozens of nations how did that happen how did because they didn't have a a police force controlling people they didn't have go around with an authoritative structure saying believe in this or else can anybody name for me the police force of Prophet Muhammad you can't do that, Prophet. Peace be upon you. You can't name a police because he didn't have one. It was about winning the hearts of the people through your core values. It was about winning and being consistent with the people, with your core principles. So people respect you because they appreciate you're a living example of what you say you believe in. So our our hope for our community is that understand that. Get your value, get your identity of how Allah SWT has praised you in the Quran. How the Prophet Muhammad wasallam has spoken about you in the prophetic narrations. And get your confidence from there. And when you have confidence from there, we're not going to get our confidence from other people. Like, like I said before, sometimes we get too excited if like a celebrity says something nice about us. You know, it's like you get teary eyed. Oh my God, they're looking at us like human beings. It's like you get so emotional. It's like, man, he's, uh, you know, he said Muslim. He said all Muslims aren't aren't terrorists. Man, this guy's so awesome. I'm gonna watch all of his movies. You know, like, uh, this is, uh, you know, this is so great. This guy came, a politician or somebody came in, and uh, you know, the, uh, and he says, uh, you know, he, he gave us salam in the masjid. Or this journalist, they actually said that, uh, you know, something positive uh, about us. And we get so happy when somebody else uh, says or, or, or does, that's how fragile sometimes our self confidence is. Sometimes it's so fragile, and then uh, we get behind things that are popularized. So unless something is popularized, then we get behind it and we say, "Okay, yeah, you know, we need to speak out for this. Speak out for the truth, wherever you may be. Fear Allah wherever you may be. Ittaqullah you Fear Allah wherever you may be." Be consistent upon that. Get your value from Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. Connect with your Lord. If you see injustice, you speak about it in a a fundamental and a principled way. You know, we don't just relegate that for things that may directly affect us. No, we we, we, we have uh, an uh, an ummah-based type of identity. We care about the condition of people across the world. We care about that. And we're not just going to uh, put our efforts. And sometimes you, see, unfortunately, you see that within the community, they'll uh, they'll they'll start doing a fundraising. Oh, there's a flood here, and this will be a good PR thing if uh, you know we 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 stand up for or we raise money for this particular flood uh, and so forth. And it's more localized. No, so support again. Do good wherever you are. Speak for the truth wherever you may be. Get your confidence from Allah. When I ta'ala and these person, there's so many of these personal experiences of racism. And my heart goes out. And that's why, as a community, we need to really come together. We need to love and support one another. Remember, in an ummah, you don't just have all righteous, strong Muslims. Like, think about how diverse the ummah is. The ummah has, like, these hardcore dudes that are, like, you know, the haram halal police. Find love for them, you know, even if they don't have love for you. Then you have on the other end of the uh, spectrum they're still within the fold of Islam but like they're kind of like not really practicing doing much uh, and there's a lot of Haram in their life. Find some love for them. Make dua for for both of them. You have people who are sinners, you have people uh, who are ignorant, you have people uh, who have uh, different, they'll have completely different opinions on you and different issues, okay. You'll have. Uh, Raptors fans And you'll have uh, Golden State Warrior fans Okay They're both Muslims And they, they shouldn't be Fighting each other Okay So You'll have All sorts of di- Find like You know This idea Of being able to uh, Go again To the top That's how we're going to Come together Is that if you come to, to it Where you believe In Allah Taala Over your own Feelings and desires you, You're going to find Some love and mercy For people in your heart You're going to find the courage to stand up against injustice in your heart, wherever that may be. And that is what's going to set a path. That is an example that needs to be set. Because as I mentioned, look at it. Uh, If we just let uh, activism be relegated to what's popular, what's culturally accepted, what's uh, celebrity approved and corporate approved, we will find ourselves back in the same place time and time and time again. So uh, this is our few words of advice, few words of hopefully truth, whatever good I've said is from Allah, whatever mistakes I've made is from my own accord. And we will see you all at the next podcast on Thursday. Uh, Be sure to um, subscribe, like, share, all that stuff, uh, inshallah, and um, we will continue to hopefully challenge narratives and speak uh, the truth uh, as long as Allah Subhanahu Wa Taala has given us the ability. Because remember, we want to live by the haq, die by the haq, and just when you think life is stuck, tune in to life haq. As-salamu wa rahmatullahi warahmatullahi wabarakatuh.
5: Do I feel that the New York police are providing enough protection or do I have to have protection of my own? I look for protection from Allah.